sections of Samuel. These sections of 2 Samuel cover a whole lot. Some of it, sometimes it's word for word. Some um, historical, you know, people that look into writings, ancient writings, they even question, did the people that wrote 1 and 2 Chronicles get confused and just copy sections of 2 Samuel when they copied out 2 Chronicles? And it's not, it's not that bad, because um, sometimes the stuff that shows up in Chronicles is in the context of where they're trying to tell it in Chronicles. Sometimes, so. But anyway, today we're in second. We're going to cover two chapters today, and I promise I'm not going to preach for 51 minutes because we're going to cover chapter eight, Second Samuel eight, really fast. And the other reminder is that this is a period in history where the best thing a man can do to run his kingdom is to kill all of his enemies off, to wipe out anybody that's against him, and to amass as many wives from as many territories as he can. Because if you can't take territories by killing people, maybe you can take territories by marrying into their people and taking that over. Does that make sense? So, so yeah. So, that's all the uh, the disclaimer for the bloodbath that's about to happen. <laughs> so, uh, there's also some question about 2 Samuel 8, of is it in the right order? You know how sometimes you're watching a TV show, and one of the episodes will happen, and you're confused, like where did that happen? And then at the end of the episode, like the guy wakes up, and it was all a flashback, or it was all a dream, and it's kind of out of order. 2 Samuel 8 might be out of order. It might have happened way before the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem. It might have happened. So it's kind of up in the air. But I don't think that changes the point of it. Does that make sense? It's a, it's, it's a standalone episode. It's okay. It could probably happen anywhere in this timeline. Alright, so 2 Samuel 8.1 After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them and David took Metheg Amma out of the hand of the Philistines. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Remember for how long David lived among the Philistines. How long David served in the army of the Philistines. And so now he has finally completely detached himself from being their ally and he has defeated a whole bunch of them. He is really establishing his own kingdom now. He is not depending on the Philistines. He's not fleeing to them. He's building his own kingdom. He defeated Moab. He measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death and one line to be spared. Whoa. All right, so what is this? He captures the whole Moabite army. He has them all lay down on the ground next to each other, side by side. He takes a line and he measures two lines and he kills all those guys. Then he takes the line and he measures a line and you guys can live. Get out of here. Measures another line, two lines. So he killed two-thirds of the Moabite army just in a slaughter. Okay, you read this and you're like, this is terrible, right? 
other thing that's wild is for a while, Moab was a place where David's parents went and hid while he was running from Saul. Because his great great his great grandma, maybe great great, is Ruth. And she's from Moab. She's a Mo she's a Moabite. Unless you watch that old movie with uh, what's her name? Um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Taylor? Is she Ruth? In that movie they always say it. she's a Moabitess. And I always think that's the weirdest word ever. What in the world's a Moabitess? She's a Moabite. So Ruth was a Moabite. She has, she's with Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse has David. So there are Moabites in David's line. But now David is enough removed. He's like, nope, we're not mixing kingdoms. I'm wiping you all out. Yikes. So he wipes out two-thirds of the Moabites by this brutal two-thirds rope business. He defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. He went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. He took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. Okay, so these guys, he defeated them, and then he's like, okay, your whole army, this whole section of army, you're fighting for me now. So he didn't kill these guys. And I want all these horses. And we, you guys have chariots. I also have chariots, but I don't want my chariots to have to fight your chariots. So they cut the hamstring on the horse, which is awful. How many times am I going to say that? Chapter 8 is awful. Can we just establish that? Here's the deal. A This is kind of like a... Um, you know how the police departments can buy decommissioned military vehicles for like the SWAT team and stuff like that, but they take off all the military stuff? Like the Evansville Police Department could have a Humvee, but it's not going to have the machine gun on top of it. That's what these horses are like. So a horse is not so much the best farm animal as it is a war machine in these days. If you hamstring the horse so it can't run as fast, it can still walk, it can still pull weight, it can still pull stuff along the ground, but it can't run and strike. So they take it from being a war machine and a battle machine to kind of like being a, a pickup truck. Does that make sense? So David, instead of slaughtering all the horses, which, by the way, are unclean and you can't eat them, so I'm, I'm curious... If this could have all been food, I wonder if David would have killed it all and they would have eaten it the way he did with cows, right? So he takes the horses that are war machines, sort of decommissions them from fighting, but you can still use them to work the land and still use them to farm. But he keeps enough for a hundred chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. He put garrisons in Aram of Damascus. And it goes through this big old list. Uh, look at verse 7. David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Can you imagine going out to fight this army 
and the army shows up and all of their shields are gold, you'd be like, whoa, you guys are so rich. You have plundered so many countries to be so rich. I don't even want to fight you, right? So like golden shields would kind of be like a psychological warfare right from the start. Because if they showed up with that, you know they're tough. Because they have gold, golden shields. Yep, too bad. David took them all. <laughs> so now it's saying, you know, David's even tougher than that. So if you get your study Bible going and you get your map going or you get on some website that has Bible maps and you go through all of these, it's showing that David, here's Jerusalem. Let's see, i got to do it backwards. Jerusalem is in the middle, and David is taking all the land to the east, and then David takes all the land to the west, and then David takes all the land to the north, and then David takes all the land to the south. That's what this whole chapter 8 bit is. It's easy to get lost in all those names and where the places are, but basically Jerusalem is here, and Hebron is here, and David is just expanding his kingdom out bigger all around all of that. That's what all of this is. Everything that David won in all of these battles. Now remember, David lives in the best city ever. He lives in a house built out of the best materials ever. He has the best army ever. He's got Joab leading the army, which he doesn't really get along with, but Joab is awesome as far as a warrior goes. So all the gold and all the plunder that David gets, verse 11, David dedicated to the Lord with the silver and the gold, everything. Everything he gets, he is putting into the temple. Nope, not the temple. He's putting it into the storehouse because there's no temple built yet, right? And then he puts garrisons. He puts little outposts out in all of these towns, all over the place. So David is taking all the treasure from all these lands, all their golden shields, all their precious metal, and he's storing it all. And if you read ahead, you know what he's storing it for which he'll never get to do, but he's storing it all up. And then we get a little bit list of a whole bunch of names of people of who is working with David. This is verse 15. David reigned over all Israel. David administered justice and equity to his people. This didn't happen under Saul. Remember, Saul was kind of like, me, 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 we're going to do everything for me. David is administering justice and equity. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Alahud, was the recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. Remember, do you guys remember uh, Ahitub, the son of, or no, Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, was the only guy to survive when the guy that was on Saul's side killed all the priests? And Ahimelech grabbed the sacred ephod and escaped, and he was the only one to survive. Now he is back in charge with the Ark of the Covenant. Yay. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiadiah, I just made that up, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. 
So you've got all these people. David's had, I think he's up to like 17 sons or something crazy and eight wives and they're from all over regions. They're serving as priests. You've got Ahimelech who used to serve under Eli back as a priest and everything is like good. Everything is stable. It is a good time for King David. So verse chapter 9. This is a, a really awesome thing. Do you know, I'll just speak personally. I don't want to speak for you. But when things are going horrible and stuff is like messed up, you pray a whole bunch. And you're like, I just need to pray. I want to pray more. Oh, I want to pray for this. And when everything is good and smooth, you're like, uh, let's see, I could open my Bible app. Or I could doom scroll Facebook. Oh, look. And then an hour passes and you're just wasted an hour on Facebook. And you're like, what did I just do with my life? David's life is super easy. He has all of these great rulers. He has all of this amazing land. He's captured all of this gold. And remember, David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's a guy that wants to love what God loves. And in all this peace, all of a sudden, David says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Wow. Is there anybody left of the old king? Which the tradition was, if, there was a, if you were the new king, you would find every single person remotely related to the old king and kill them all. You don't want any of the old rulers left nothing not even the janitor just wipe them all out start from scratch and he says is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show them kindness for Jonathan's sake Jonathan was the son of Saul his best friends with David and David's just like oh I have everything I have the best house I have the best land I got the best 17 kids I got the best eight wives is there anything I can do to show kindness of God to Jonathan, to Jonathan's descendants? There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Now this dude would have been like total lay low, right? Um, like my dad, he retired, he cashed out his entire IRA and he bought a trailer in a trailer park out in Boonville and he lived off of his social security and I said dude why don't you move to Evansville and he said because then I would talk to people I want to live in Boonville where no one will talk to me and I can just be happy in my mobile home and he did he lived out the rest I don't know how many years he that's where he died so he was out nobody knew where he was right and he was as happy as can be if everybody's going to kill all the descendants of Saul and you're a servant in the house of Saul, what do you think you would do? You'd buy a trailer in Boonville, on the far, not even in Boonville, far side of Boonville, and just lay low and live out your days. Ziba is this guy. They find out about him and they bring him to David. Okay. This is the same David that just killed two-thirds of all the Moabites. And, right? 
So you got to have the context of he's a killer. I mean, he, he's a king that is brutal, kills his enemies. Ziba comes in, he lay, lays face down before King David. So intimidating. And he says, are you Ziba? Are you this guy? And he says, I am your servant. The king said, is there not so, still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So now it's not just David being kind. It's David seeing the kindness of God. God has been so kind to me. I want to show kindness to somebody else. How can I do this? Who, who, you got to know, Ziba, you are a servant. Who is left that I can show them kindness? Now, Ziba has a choice. He can stay quiet and not reveal anybody and protect anybody that he might know about, or he can trust the king and come clean and be honest. Do you think King David's going to find out either way? Like, I kind of think King David's got enough people on his side. He would find the truth eventually either way. And I, I love it. Ziba, he says, There is still a son of Jonathan. Oh, my gosh, you guys. So David loved Jonathan so much. He was just such a brother to him, even though they weren't really brothers. Such a bro. Can you imagine David hearing not just a descendant of Saul, but a very son of your best bro, Jonathan? What? And then Ziba adds in, he's crippled in his feet. All right. We don't know his name yet. They haven't said what his name is. If you got some fancy study Bible that says, blah, 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 Mephibosheth, they already ruined it and they spoiled the excitement. Remember when Saul and Jonathan died in battle? Word gets out. Saul and Jonathan have fallen in battle. Everybody's like, oh, there's going to be a new king. They're going to kill everybody. Uh, jo Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth, and she, he's five years old. And he has a nurse that takes care of him. And she is escaping. And she grabs that five-year-old. And they're running for their life with so much fear that she drops him and breaks his legs. And so from age five, he is crippled and um, can't walk. And so it, it doesn't say Mephibosheth yet. If you were reading this, and, or if you're watching a movie, let's make it a movie because I get into movies. If you're watching a movie and he said there's a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet, you would know this is Mephibosheth. Yes. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Okay, you guys, years have gone by. It could be, this guy could be 25 or 30 at this point. 25 or 30, living on the far side of Boonville, no, no mailbox, right? 
Low Debar is just, it is nowhereville. He has been hiding out, hoping that nobody ever remembers who he is. And all of a sudden, some of these chariots and some of these army men of David show up at his trailer. Right? Oh boy, somebody found out. Uh, have you guys seen, every once in a while they'll publish an article like, the descendant of George Washington. Like there's still a, there's a guy that's a descendant of George Washington right now and he's like a janitor in Texas somewhere or like a maintenance man. It's like, so if we did kingdoms and they made George Washington king, this guy from Nowhereville, Texas would be our king now. That's what this is. All of a sudden, this whole army shows up. Mephibosheth. You've been summoned by King David. So he comes. David says, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, what's he going to say, right? <laughs> Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth could have been like Ishbosheth, which was another son, who ruled, and Abner was his army guy, right? Remember all that? And he was slowly trying to fight against David. Mephibosheth is like, I, I, I don't want to fight you. I am powerless. I'm not going to take over anything. And David says, David could just kill him right there, Right? Like David said, other people, they, he asks the young man, hey, kill that guy, and they kill the guy right there. No. David says, do not fear. I'm going to show you kindness. The, the word there is hesed. It's one of my favorite Old Testament words. I'm going to show you hesed. I'm going to show you hospitality at my own expense. I'm going to welcome you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I can't love your father, Jonathan, anymore because he's dead but I made a promise to him for his whole life that I would take care of all of his descendants. And here you are, Mephibosheth. I'm going to restore to you all the land that Saul owned. Okay, that doesn't mean the whole kingdom, but that means way back when, when Saul, before Saul became king, which is way back at the beginning of 1 Samuel, there was land that he had that probably got taken when he was no longer king and everybody hated him and all that business. I'm going to show kindness. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table always. There is no king that's going to go hungry. Right? The king will always have food at his table. The king will always have the best of food at his table. And now Mephibosheth, this Lame guy from low to bar, hiding out in the middle of nowhere that everybody in his family should be dead, gets to sit at the king's table and eat. Wow. He falls down. He pays homage to David. And he says, what is your servant that you would show regard for a dead dog like me? Some translations say a dead dog from low to bar which might be one of the best phrases in the Old Testament. A dead dog from Lodabar. You know, well, do you remember what David said? Are there any descendants of, of 
Saul left that I can show the kindness of God to. I want to show the kindness of God. And the kindness of God is getting shown by finding this completely undeserving. Un, um, what is Mephibosheth going to be able to, to add to David the warrior? The warrior king who fights and kills and takes land and slaughters enemies and all this business. Mephibosheth can't even get around the house without help. That's the kindness of God. He is so powerful. David is so powerful. He can do anything. He can have anything. And the person that he wants to eat at his table is the weak, weak, weak adult child of his old best friend. That's how he shows the kindness of God. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant. Remember the guy that they called in first and said, Is anybody left? And he said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all of his house I have given to your master's grandson. I have given to Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and all of your servants are going to till the land for him and they're going to bring in the produce that your master's grandson will have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he's got 35 people to work for him, and they're all going to work the land that Saul owned and live on it. And everything they grow and everything they produce, they're going to bring to the castle, not the castle, bring to David's house to add into the food. So some people have read this as, okay, wait a minute. Maybe it's not as generous as you heard at first. Because David is bringing Mephibosheth to eat at his table, but he's also saying, but all the land that I give to you is going to grow food for us to eat. So there's another spin on this, that if Mephibosheth, as a descendant of Saul, is ever going to claim the throne... David is going to have him at his dinner table every night to keep an eye on. So there's some scholars that refer to this as a house arrest. <laughs> that he's gone and put Mephibosheth on house arrest. You might read a comment like that. I don't buy that as much because he could have just killed him. I mean, everything we saw in chapter 8, David doesn't love his enemies. He kills them. And so here he is showing God's kindness. And I don't think Mephibosheth is a, is a enemy. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to tease you. In eight chapters, Mephibosheth and Ziba are going to come back. And it's going to be a really different story. So we're not, if you're making a little collector's card about Ziba and Mephibosheth, you've got to leave some space at the bottom because it's going to get dicey. <laughs> But don't think about that right now, because I don't want to ruin the moment. <laughs> Ziba says to the king, according to all that the Lord, my Lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Wow! Mephibosheth himself had a son, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So you've got Mephibosheth that's probably 25 to 35. He's got a son. 
They don't mention his wife, but that's, you know, all that. So now Mephibosheth's son is in charge of Ziba, and Ziba's 15 kids and 20 servants. So his servant has servants. So Micah became a super rich guy too. So Mephibosheth becomes a rich man because he gets to eat the king's table every night, which means he's also going to have a room in David's house, which means he's also going to have people taking care of all of his laundry and all of his other needs. Micah, his son, is going to get rich all of a sudden because now he has been put in authority over Ziba. A lot has happened here. All of this is David showing God's kindness. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he ate always at the king's table. And then it's kind of funny how, just in case you forgot, just in case you forgot this detail, the last line of chapter 9, now he was lame in both feet. I think it's just reinforcing. David has invited Mephibosheth for no benefit of his own. It, it contributes nothing to David's kingdom. Do you remember why we're reading this whole book in the first place? <laughs> because Jesus is the son of David. Jesus gets called the son of David over and over and over in the Gospels. And when David is really doing God's will, he's really showing off what God is like, that's when Jesus, that's the son of David that they mean about Jesus. In, verse, in chapter 8, it talks about God gave David victory all over the place. And that expanded the kingdom and that expanded the land. But it wasn't exactly the way God intended it. Because a couple hundred years later, when all the people quit worshiping God and the Babylonians come, guess what the Babylonians haul off? All that gold that David gathered. All those riches that David plundered from all those other armies. The Babylonians and the Persians haul it off and it'll never return to Jerusalem. It's not that God wanted a whole bunch of gold. It's not even that God wanted a whole bunch of land. But in chapter 9, where David wants to do what God wants, I want to show God's kindness. It's not taking a whole bunch of land. It's not fighting a whole bunch of people. It's inviting somebody in that really needs to be invited in. It's showing mercy to somebody that really needs to be shown mercy. And that's where we see God's kindness in David. And there's Jesus. And who does Jesus go out for? He spent three days. We were talking about this this weekend while we are working on the farm. Spent three weekends, three days with the Samaritans. They were so dirty and nasty that after they said the word Samaritan, they would spit to clean their mouth out because that word was on their mouth. Jesus spent three days with them. The woman at the well, super questionable. Nobody knows what in the world. There's all kinds of stories. Jesus tells her about her whole life, talks to her for the longest time, even drinks out of her jar, which was just like, whoa. Jesus was reaching out for Mephibosheth. Jesus is finding all of these Mephibosheths his whole life. He's walking down the road. There's this uh, short guy. Come on. 
wee little man, wee little man was he? What was his name? I forgot. Zacchaeus. Thanks. Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. If they didn't hate him because he was short, they hated him because he was a tax collector. It says over and over again that he was short. Remember how many times they said Saul was tall? So it was like he was great because he was tall. It might not have anything to do with his height, but people just didn't like him. And Jesus is like, dude, where is your house? I want to have dinner with you. Again, he's going after a Mephibosheth. I, I am totally a Mephibosheth, right? Every one of us is. We've got nothing to offer the Lord. We've got to a God who is expanding his kingdom with such might and power and glory, I have nothing to offer. But he wants me to sit at his table. He wants me to always be able to eat his food. And so he sends Jesus to die on the cross, rise from the dead, and to invite me in. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that in your character that you are powerful and mighty and you can beat anything. And instead of beating us, you invite us to dinner. And Lord, I pray that you would just drive that down deep into our souls. That that's the number one thing that you want to do with us, is to just be with us and hang out and spend all eternity together. Do it, Lord. Show us ways that we can see you at work this week. Show us ways that we can see that we are the Mephibosheth and you invite us in and help us to find other Mephibosheths to invite to dinner too. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 308 together.
as you go out this week, know that the Lord wants to have you for dinner at his table, even if you're a dead dog from low to bar or whatever. He loves to be with you. God bless you. Dead dog from low to bar.